0: grab our Bibles. This morning we're in Philippians chapter number one as we're continuing our series through this book of scripture. We've entitled it Joy in a Box. And the reason why is because the Apostle Paul is writing from an imprisonment. He is really disconnected from those who he loves. He's not able to attend in the body of believers. And so he's writing to this church at Philippi. And even though he's in these very difficult situations, He's writing from a position of great joy, and that's remarkable to me. I mean, we can all admit, I think, in the day and age that we live today, that joy is pretty elusive in our lives. We're not a people in a culture that are really saturated in a consistent, sustainable joy. A lot of the joy we would say we experience happens because of happenings that might occur around us, little bits of gratification. That we might experience as we take hold of this thing or that thing, but we find that the things of this world that we grab onto are fleeting. They don't last. Fads change, minds change, cultures change. But how many of you are glad our Jesus stays the same? The Bible says he's the same yesterday and today and forever. And the reason why is he is the completer of all things. He is the creator of all things, he is the completer of all things, he is the sustainer of all things. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Colossians that by him all things consist or continue as they are. He's the generator for everything. And and that's who we need to turn to to find sustaining joy. You you will never be happy outside of something that is true and that lasts. You're you're never going to find joy in something that's passing away. You're never going to be full. You're going to be perpetually hungry and searching if you're not filled by the one who created that space in you to be filled, and only he is the one that can fill it. And so the apostle Paul is writing from a place where even in dire circumstances, he's filled. He's full of the joy of the Lord, and it's pouring out of his ministry. A a jail cell cannot hold it. A prison guard cannot contain it. The joy pours out in this letter that he writes to the church of Philippi. And begins to teach them and show them how they too can walk with joy and connect with joy in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning as we look at the passage that we're going to read, we're going to look at spiritual maturity and joy. Spiritual maturity and joy. As we grow in the Lord, it creates more space for joy in our life. So we're going to be in Philippians 1 and we're going to begin reading this morning with verse number 9. And if you're physically able to stand, would you stand with me? Out of respect for the reading of the word of God. Philippians one we'll begin here with verse number 9. Just a couple of verses this morning. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So let's pray this morning and let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to teach us what it looks like to grow spiritually and have joy in our life. Heavenly Father, we're thankful we can be in your house this morning. We're thankful that we can turn to the truth of your word. And as Paul has written these words some 2,000 years ago, may they be fresh in our minds and in our hearts today. Your, your word is living, it's full of truth, it persists, it transcends time and space and culture and fads. Lord, it is current and we need it today. So Lord, speak clearly to our hearts. May we be receptive, may we be desirous to grow in our life as believers to spiritually mature and may we be filled with joy as a result we ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We all enjoy um, charting growth. Growth is usually a very positive thing. And whether it's the growth of our children or the growth of our savings accounts or the growth of our, our homes to bring in more children or whatever the case might be, usually growth means blessing. Growth means that there's more that can be done. I remember charting growth, especially as a newer parent, uh, when Kalen was born and when McKenna was born, and really with all of our children, Gavin was born and Eden now, we'd take them to the doctor, obviously, and we'd take them to their normal checkups, and the doctors would always bring out all the measuring instruments and kind of measure the kids to make sure they were hitting certain milestones, charting their growth. And of course, those are cute moments when you're a parent, you know, you, you like watching your children grow, and you got your scrapbooks, and you've got your cameras, and you're ready at the doctor, and you're, you know, I, I always say that's kind of weird. The collection we keep, you know, we cut their hair and put it in a box. and we <laughs> memory boxes and all that. We, we chart growth, right? And I remember going to the doctor, and, and maybe it was a little bit different with Gavin. I I, I don't know. Maybe it was just having a boy. Uh, I was really particularly just, just interested in his size and, and how he was growing. And I remember taking in Gavin, and they brought out the measuring tape, you know, and and they're getting ready to measure him and the, the, the nurse has him kind of laid out across this table and she's kind of putting his hands in place and I'm kind of pulling on his toes to make him a little longer, you know, stretch him out a little bit. And at, as, they, as they measure them, the way that they chart it and the way that they keep track of it is they compare them with a group in their same age bracket. And so you, you're rated by a certain percentile of growth. And, and I, I remember this with our, our previous girls and now with Gavin. I'm like, all right, buddy, let's hit those numbers, man. Let's hit those numbers. And boy, that first number came back and they measured his length. And they're like, well, uh, he looks like he's measuring about the 96th percentile. And I'm like, Ee-haw! 96. That's pretty good. That's an A. What? They measure a few other things, and they keep coming back, you know, 94, 95, 96. And then they take this one measurement. I don't, I don't remember what it was exactly. I think they were measuring around his head or something. And it came back, and, and, and they said, well, we we'll want to keep an eye on this. He's at about the 45th percentile. I'm like, what? <laughs> I wanted to look at that doctor and say, your face is like the 45th percentile. <laughs> Tell my son he's 45th percentile. And we just do that. We chart our growth. We get excited about those milestones being hit. We, we, we see how they're connecting with, with life and expanding in their horizons. And, and not only do we measure that physical growth, but there are certain milestones that they hit developmentally. And, and we, we watch them learn and we watch their world expand. And there's, there's great joy in that type of growth. And so it is with the spiritual life. We should not be content with a stagnancy that develops. The one thing about our physical growth is sometimes it shifts from growing upward and starts growing outward, right? Growth changes and and maybe doesn't continue to persist as we move forward physically, but spiritually, how many of you are glad that there is no ceiling on our growth? Every day we wake up, we should be becoming more like Jesus in our lives. And so that growth should be exciting every day. That's part of what's really exciting about being alive in Christ is that we can every day wake up and see that growth. But I fear that a lot of the reasons why we don't experience great joy as a believer is because we're not excited every day that we wake up. Because we know that we're not growing the way that we should. And we realize that we're not taking in the nutrients that we ought to. And we look at our life and there's nothing new and there's nothing fresh. And there's no new knowledge and there's no new love. And there's no new growth. And we grow stale and we grow stagnant. And let me just say, we all succumb to that at areas and points in our life. But we should not be content to continue to be stagnant at any point in our life spiritually, we should desire to thrive and to grow and see the ever-present work of God in our lives. We should desire to see that. And every day as a believer should be a new day of excitement that we wake up wondering, how can I grow more in the Lord today? How can I grow more in the Lord today? How can I look more like Jesus today? How can I connect more with his truth today? How can I, how can I see him fleshed out in my life, in my actions, in my behaviors, in the fruit that's produced in my life today. And every day should be a new and exciting day of growth for us as Christians. I know we could have many types of excuses about why we're not growing, but it's hard for us to excuse ourselves for a lack of growth in our life when we're hearing from the author, Paul, who has every reason physically and mentally to not grow, being locked away and put aside in his ministry. He's imprisoned. And yet he's continuing to flourish in his ministry to this church at Philippi. And there are three key things that I want us to see concerning the connection of spiritual maturity and joy today. Three key things that I want us to see where we connect spiritual maturity and joy in our lives. Now this isn't an exhaustive list in our Christian life, but there are three things that Paul highlights to this church of Philippi. As we dig into our passage this morning, I want us to see, first of all, the joy of growing in love. The joy of growing in love. I want to highlight, first of all, how Paul is not just teaching the church this, but Paul is really an ultimate example of this. Because notice how he begins verse number nine here to the church of Philippi. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. I I really like how Paul's focus isn't on himself, but his focus is on others. At a time in his life where he would really maybe have a desire to vent some frustration. How many of you have ever been in that part of life where you just felt like you wanted to vent? How many of you have ever had somebody just vent to you before? Like you weren't planning on it, you weren't expecting it, but they just came up to you and all of a sudden, their whole life is in your lap. You're like, what do I do with all this? They must have really needed to get something out. And sometimes in our life, we can just build up and build up and build up with frustration and tension, and something comes along and pops that, and a lot of times that's the venting of our own desires, our own frustrations, our own hurts, our own wounds. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sharing what's on our heart, but what's so neat about the Apostle Paul is while he could be writing this letter and complaining about his situation and complaining about his treatment and complaining about the fact that he's locked up in prison... He writes not with himself on his heart, but he writes with God's people on his heart. There's something about his spiritual maturity that's freed him up to look beyond himself. And we are all prone to selfishness. We are all prone to conceit. We are all prone to want to highlight what's important to us in our life. And at times, there's nothing wrong with that. But in this ministry of Paul, he was not all about himself though it might have been therapeutic for him to vent, he decided it'd be more joyful to put on display what he had from Christ, even in difficult circumstances. And instead of complaining and drawing the church into a deep depression along with himself, he said, I'm filled up with the Spirit of God. I have something that I can still give. I have a point of reference from which I can still minister. And I'm going to be a blessing to God's people because I love God and I love his people. And so it's not about me. And how many of you understand in our lives, it should be about Jesus. When we look at the one who did suffer and we look at the one who did die and we look at the one who did give himself for us and we look at the one who did redeem us, no matter what we're going through, we can connect with his sufferings but do so in joy and still have capacity to minister to others in love. And that's what Paul is really praying for concerning this church. I pray that you would experience the bountifulness of God's love in your life like he has shown me in my life. I pray that you would grow and mature in this area of love. Abound in it. Abound in it. Now that's something we are capable of doing as Christians. And the reason why is because the generator of love in our life is not ourselves and our flesh. It is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this world, we uh, have certain capacities of love. We love as long as we're being loved. We love as long as there's something in it for me. We love as long as we feel a certain way, act a certain way, can, can benefit a certain way. And that's why our love, the word that we use for love, sometimes is very cheap. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I love these shoes? Right? I love this car. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I love pizza? <laughs> By the way, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But we use this word love to express the fact that we get something out of it. I love pizza, why? Well, it's not like that Christian song, I love pizza because it first loved me. How many of you know pizza has no feelings for you (laughs) at all whatsoever? You feel a certain way after you eat pizza. We love it because it tastes good. We love these shoes because they look good. We love this car because it drives well. And so we love based upon the benefit factor for ourselves. But when this kind of love, it doesn't matter if we're benefiting from it or not. Paul certainly wasn't benefiting from being imprisoned, And yet there was this abundance of love that flowed from his life because it was there uh, based upon the presence of Jesus, not based upon the presence or the need for self-satisfaction. And so he says, I want that kind of love to depict your growth, church at Philippi. I want you to abound in a love that's not dependent on what you get back out of it. I want you to really be expressive with a love that's sacrificial in nature, that's full of the Spirit of God in nature, that's full of the joy of the Lord in nature, and can come even from a prison cell, if needs be. So we see that there is joy in growing in our love, now, this growth in our love is connected to two key truths, two key ingredients that we need to attach this love to. And Paul mentions them in verse number nine. Notice with me, if you would, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more, I notice this, in knowledge, in knowledge. Now, we can love something in a fleeting way without knowing much about it just because of how we benefit from it. But you can't have deep abiding love without developing a relationship of knowledge with someone or something. And this word in the Greek for knowledge is epignosis. Many commentators believe that this is perhaps a more developed word than gnosis, the, the other word that's used for knowledge in Scripture, And that this epignosis is more of a completed knowledge. It's more of a verified knowledge. It's an experienced knowledge. It's I've walked with Jesus kind of knowledge. I've spent some time with him. I've heard from him. I've seen his promises come true in my life. I know that he's been faithful to me. I have this experience with Jesus. And I'm not saying that truth is experiential. But if you're attached to the truth, you're going to experience some pretty good things. And Can we just give a moment to testify this morning? How many of you have had the experience that God has sure been faithful to you? Even when maybe we haven't deserved it. And so there's this, this epignosis, this knowledge that needs to be attached to love. Listen, Paul's saying, I don't want you to just merely be infatuated with God. I don't want you to be infatuated with God's people. And by the way, that can happen. You can come into a church or a church experience or some kind of revival experience and you can be overwhelmed and awed with perhaps the way the people are or the way the, the music is or the way the environment is and you can develop an infatuation for the feeling that you gain from that. You can be infatuated by God when you when you maybe experience some of the things that He He gives you and the ways that He blesses you and there's an infatuation that can develop but this is something deeper. This is a love that's based upon actual experiential relationship. It goes beyond the surface of I'm gratified for a moment to I can trust God that He will sustain me for a lifetime because I know Him and I know His word and I know that He's faithful and I've walked with Him and He's brought me through trial and I know that He's there and so we have this epignosis, this knowledge that anchors our love to something that's sure. How many understand love is fleeting today? People hop from thing to thing, from person to person, from situation to situation. Many times trying to find these expressions of love. And yet they never develop this deep knowledge and relationship. And that can happen with God. Aren't you glad that God wants us to know who he is? Aren't you glad that God has communicated to us? who he is in his word so that we can learn of him and we can know him and we can love him more. So we grow in this understanding of love by attaching it to this intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. We attach it to this intimate knowledge of who God's people are. I believe a church should be more than a social club. I believe it should be a gathering of family. We're born into the household of God. We might not always get along. We may, we may even irritate each other every once in a while. How many of you know good family irritates each other at least every once in a while? And it keeps people thinking, you know. There may be personality clashes. There may be issues that will need forgiveness and repentance. And all of that is part of living together and doing life together. And we need to come together in a deep way where that type of knowledge can be experienced in abiding and abundant love that really only the Spirit of God can manage in the household of God. A lot of people enjoy isolation, and they enjoy isolation because then they don't have to deal with people. Now, you understand, sometimes that sounds nice. That's what vacation's all about, right? You have to deal with people, be around people, but that's not what God has called us to. In every major calling that we have in our life, the power and the fruit of the Spirit of God is put on display. In the calling of marriage, you really think, ah, it's only two people that have to get along. That won't be hard. only two people. That, that, that's easy. No, it's not always easy. And how many of you are glad if you've been saved and you were uh, growing in your spiritual maturity through that relationship? How many of you are glad when the word of God and the spirit of God got involved in your relationship and helped you out? You'd think, oh man, well church, church, those are God's people. Those are God's people. There's never any problems at church. They all get along all the time. Nobody takes anybody's parking spot. Nobody sits in another person's seat. Everybody always shakes each other's hand. It is church. It's heaven on earth. Uh, There's nothing that we should ever expect to go wrong or anything that needs to be made right. What world are you living in? But yet we're called to come together. Why? Because God trusts His Spirit. If we're operating in His Spirit, then we can operate like brothers and sisters, and we can go to one another. We can make things right. We can exercise God's forgiveness. We can experience God's love. All of these callings help to magnify the presence of God's Spirit in our life, and so that we can grow in love. And in growing in love, we grow in joy. My heart gets filled with joy when I get to be around God's people. When I get to shake your hand, when you're you're mad at me, I'm full of joy. (laughs) Why? Because I know God is going to do something in that. Because I know he can do something in that. Because I know he will be put on display through that. I know he'll be glorified ultimately if we are obedient to him and we are maturing and we are growing in this love. So it needs to be attached to knowledge. And notice the other thing here in verse number nine, and in all judgment, This is a discernment. This is the ability to recognize what it is we should love and how we should love it. And in our lives as believers, we need to be loving the right things, loving the right people, ultimately loving God and filtering all of our relationships through our love of God. I say this often, and I think we need to hear it often because I believe it's true. We love others best when we love Jesus first. And so now we can have this judgment in our love. A lot of times we give our affections to things we ought not give our affections to. And we love in ways that are not really spirit-led. We need to be very careful of that. So we see here, first of all, the joy of growing in love. We're looking at the connection between spiritual maturity and joy. And we can have wonderful, great joy when we are growing in love. Secondly, this morning, I want us to see the joy of growing in character. The joy of growing in character. Now, by character, I mean how we are shaped and formed in our application of truth, in our behavior. Do you realize that God didn't say just hear the word? He also said to what? Do the word. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers Doers of the word. So we're not just trying to feed our minds full of knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth. And the way that we love God is by keeping his commandments. The way that we love God is by building in our life through his spirit, spiritual character. What does that mean? It means that we're being formed and created to look like Jesus. The whole point of his salvation is to bring us from a point where we don't look like Jesus to a point where we look more and more and more every day like Jesus. That's the shaping of our spiritual character. Now, Paul references this in verse number 10. Notice with me, if you would. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So character is first identified in what we approve. This word approve means to try. It means to apply. It means to connect with in an applicable way. So what is it that you are approving of in your life? Look around your house. Look at your entertainment. Look at your speech. Look at your apparel. Look at all these different things. They say a story about you. These are the things that you're allowing into your most intimate spaces. These are the things that you're dwelling on, that you're feeding on, that you're allowing into your mind gates and your ear gates. These are the things that you are fleshing out through your life by identifying with them in behavior What are all these things that you're allowing into your life? What are all these things that you are approving of and trying in your life? And he says, apply or try or approve only excellent things. Well, what are excellent things? Excellent things are godly things. And the Bible gives us a filter for this. Later on in Philippians chapter number 4, we're going to come to it. Philippians 4, number 8 says this. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, which is excellence, if there be any praise, think on these things. So those are the things that we are to approve, that we are to saturate our lives with. But so many times... In Christian lives and in Christian homes, you'll find that we've allowed things to pass through the filter that do not edify, that do not build up, that do not mature, that do not have spiritual sustainability. And we approve them. can Can I just bring this home a little bit? I don't mean to be too heavy this morning, but this is a heavy thought. Parents, what are you showing your children by allowing it in your home that you approve of this? that you approve of this. What kind of demeanor, what kind of speech, what kind of entertainment, what kind of world philosophies are you embracing and laughing at and holding high and presenting on a wall on a poster or presenting through the television or presenting through music that you're saying, that's okay, I approve of that. Go ahead and bring that into your life. We've got to be careful as parents. Now, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a prudish individual. I don't like checklists and sheets and like, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. But, but we have a filter called the Holy Spirit of God. We have a filter called the Word of God that I believe when there are things that should not be approved, we should be convicted by the Holy Spirit that we need to consider not maybe allowing this to be approved in our life. We should put up the right blocks and the right barriers to show that this doesn't really, this isn't the direction we want to go in. This isn't the way that we want to live. This isn't what we want to dwell on. This isn't what we want to fashion and form us. How many of you have heard that old computer adage back when programming first developed? Garbage in, garbage out. Bad code comes in, bad performance is going to go out. And it's the same thing with our lives spiritually. The word of God and his spirit helped to program that, that person, that character of Christ in our life and and instead of listening to the word of God and the spirit of God, a lot of times we find ourselves saturated by the garbage of the world and garbage in, garbage out, garbage in, garbage out. Which you, I like this other phrase. You are what you eat. Some of us are like, I don't know. What are you talking about? You are what you eat. In other words, the nourishment that you allow into your life is all ultimately going to be what fashions and forms you in your health and in your growth and in your maturity. And it's the same thing Spiritually. So approve those things that are excellent. We need to be growing in our character. Now, this approving of things that are excellent connects itself to two key thoughts again here in verse number 10. The first is this. Paul says that you may be sincere. Allow the word of God, the truth of God, and the spirit of God to create the right kind of character in your life so you're not putting on a show. How many of you know that anybody can button up in a coat and a tie and say, I love Jesus? I do it all the time. But do you really? Is it a put-on? And how many of you understand, it's exhausting to be a put-on. It's exhausting to keep up an appearance. It's exhausting. I mean, just think about your house. How often do you have to paint it? How often do you have to clean it? How often do you have to deal with it just to make sure that even the facade of it looks nice? A lot of work goes into that. And that's why God doesn't shape us from the outside in. God shapes us from the inside out. He comes in and does all the heavy lifting. He comes in and removes all the, uh, as we've been learning about on Wednesday night, all the, uh, the furniture that we should not have in there. And then he moves his own furniture in and he begins to care for that from the inside out. And our life shouldn't be a put on. We should be developing strong, good, spiritual character where it's not a facade. It's just naturally what has matured from the inside out. And we're sincere. The word sincere here in its Greek form literally means to uncover through direct sunlight. How many of you understand you see things a whole lot differently when you take it out in the light of the sun? That light hits it, that true light hits it and exposes flaws and blemishes and cracks and difficulties where maybe inside or in lesser light, those things were hidden. Can I ask you a question? Could your life today be dragged out into direct sunlight? How would it hold up? If the light of the sun were to reveal all that's there, would it be genuine or is it a put on? A lot of times if you go to the store and you pay with anything, a uh, $20 bill or, or, or larger in denomination, that, that clerk will take that bill and what will they do with it? What are they doing when they do that? They're holding it up to the light. Why? Because when that light shines through it, what are they looking for? That little band, running right through that bill, because that authenticates it. It's genuine. It's real. And so like that, our lives, when the light of Jesus shines through it, shouldn't be blocked with a form and fashion of the world, but when that light shines through our life, it should be indelibly seen that the picture of Christ shows up that we're authentic, that we're genuine. Paul says, I don't want you to be a put-on. I want you to be real. That's what's going to bring joy. Christians, I've seen many grow weary because instead of getting right with God or growing in God or maturing in God, they're merely putting up a facade that they are. But deep down, they're not growing in knowledge. They're not growing in love. They're not growing in character. And, And there's a lack of real joy and intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. The joy of growing in character. We see it's linked to this issue of approving the right things, forming the right character, being sincere. And then it says this without offense until the day of Christ. Verse number 10 without offense until the day of Christ. This idea of without offense means to be on a path that's opposite from sin. In other words, Jesus is directing our paths. We are fleeing the road of offense and we're walking the road of righteousness. And that should be our calling as a believer. Time and time again throughout scripture is the warning, avoid sin, avoid this path, avoid this habit, avoid this negligence, avoid this, avoid this, run from sin, resist the devil and he will flee. Give no place to the devil. Time and time again in scripture. And what is God doing? He's laying a clear path for us a path away from sin and toward God's righteousness. As we grow in character, we should be more and more in our life genuine in our reflection of Christ and more and more in our life pulling away from the path of sin and running toward the path of righteousness. Lastly this morning, and we'll be done, we see the joy of growing in capacity. We've looked already this morning at the joy of growing in love, the joy of growing in character, but now let's look at the joy of growing in capacity. We learned as we were going through our study in John 15 that that, that we are vessels that can be filled. Jesus says, I write these things unto you that ye might be filled with the knowledge of my will, that ye may be filled with the presence of my joy. So we're vessels that need to be filled. And as we grow in our maturity, so we should grow in our capacity to be filled with the right things. I don't know about you, but man, if there's something I I really like, I want a lot of it. And I remember as we were traveling out here to move to here from Southern California, on that trip, we stopped by a lot of these large truck stops. And what I like about large truck stops is they have large fountain drink stations, (laughs) like mega large. And uh, I'm a big fan of tea and and some other flavored drinks. And I like going in there. And uh, I always look at, I always think, you know, I mean, you can only drink so much. And so I'm like, yeah, i mean, we get one about that big. But then you look down the road, and I I swear, I swear at this one place we stopped, it was $1.25 for this one. But if I bought this one, it was like 59 cents. (laughs) Have you ever been in that place where you felt like you were losing money if you didn't do that? I'm like, I don't even know I can fit that in my car door but I'm buying it look what I got I mean I grabbed that thing and you had to prop it into the into the dispenser I don't think it would fit all the way up I mean and then you'd take a little cup so you could get it all the way to the if you can't walk out of the store with a drink in one hand the drink's too big okay (laughs) but man I love that you, you, you want that, and so you, you look for more that you can get. The receptacle, and I know that that's probably not a great example of what I'm talking about. You probably don't need more soda and more fountain drinks. but How many of us all could use more joy of Jesus in our life? More of the presence of the fruit of his spirit in our life. More of the peace of God which passes all understanding in our life so part of this spiritual maturation process is allowing God to, as we grow, enlarge our vessel so that we have a greater capacity for his love, for his abiding presence, for the joy that he brings into our life. Notice how he expresses this in verse number 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. A lot of times we're limited in our capacity for the fruit of Christ's righteousness because we're not growing in the Lord. We're not maturing in his love, in his knowledge, in his character, and so our capacity for fruit is very limited. Why should that matter to us? Pastor, I'm relatively happy. I mean, I don't feel like I need anything really jogged in my life. I feel like I'm getting by. Yeah, but what's awesome is that when you produce fruit, it affects other people's lives too. I remember where we lived in California, we had some fruit trees. I've talked about them at length in many other sermons uh, in our backyard. And what was always neat is when that tree came into its fruit season, and there were times that if we fertilized right and we watered right and we did everything right, those trees would produce an abundance of fruit. We had this one particular tree in our backyard I'm not sure what the citrus was. It kind of looked like an orange, but it had this, like, lump on the top, and it wasn't an orange, but that lump made it really easy to peel, so I like that. I like it when they make my fruit easy to eat. Thank you, God. And, uh, man, there were, there were times that tree would produce so much fruit, the, the limbs would be hanging down, and we'd have company over, and they'd go out in their backyard, and they'd say, look at the fruit on your tree. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of people, you want some? And they're like, can we? Yeah. And I'd go in and we'd have this collection of these store bags, you know, those plastic ones you put all your groceries in. And I'd hand them a couple bags. I'd go, fill them up. Really? Yeah, go for it. And they're out there and they're pulling those out. They're filling their bags. They're walking out with smiles on their face. And, and what a blessing it was. Hey, we're going to come back to your house. Come back. we we'll more fruit. <laughs> we're pros. It's just Awesome. The fruit was so good, and our lives should be like that spiritually. Maybe you're content, and maybe... Uh... Sounds a little hard to grow. Sounds like it might challenge me a little bit too much. But think of the fruit that can be produced. And think of this world that's barren and dark and languishing. And they need something. And they need some vitalization. Can they look at your life and see that God's planted a tree of life there? Do they see the fruit of Christ's righteousness? Can they be helped? Can they be nourished? Can they come to that oasis of God in your life and say, Hey, they're going through a tough time. and It's been a tough, tough couple of years. And they've experienced some loss in their life. But look at the tree of righteousness. Look at the fruit that's being produced there. What a blessing that is because we do all of this. It says at the end of verse number 11, to the glory and praise of God. I was a little prideful about the fruit on my tree in my house. But the fruit that exists in my life has nothing to do with me. And the fruit that you produce in your life as a believer has nothing to do with you. It's all because of the power of Christ in you. Without me, ye can do nothing, Jesus said. Are people seeing that fruit? This morning, we've learned about the connection between spiritual maturity and joy. And I think a lot of the joyless lives that Christians lead are led joyless because they're not maturing and growing in the Lord. There's no extended capacity. There's no abounding love. There's no continual formation of character to look more like Jesus And we feel the weight of that because we're disconnected in many ways in our walk with the Lord. Oh, that God might revitalize some of those things in our lives and in the church as a whole, that we may bring forth much fruit.